today on Ag News Daily. Rationale to do that from a USDA standpoint, but from a private sector standpoint, we're going to be looking at more conservative numbers coming out of Ukraine, and then that has big implications. Welcome, everybody, to a Monday Ag News Daily episode. Today's episode is brought to you by and sponsored by Ag Explorer International. So my name is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. How are you doing, Delaney? I am doing pretty well. Tanner had some wedding festivities this weekend. So, yeah. All right. It was kind of like we were at a wedding, too. We had a local school fundraising event, (laughs) a, a gala or a gala or gala, however it's pronounced. I uh, got the whole town together and had a, a great time ourselves. So you had to dress up fancy, I'm guessing, for that. You know, as a banker, the the term fancy is mm. kind of almost every day. You know, I was I was pretty much dressed in bank attire and um, was comfortable, just to say that. That's good. Yeah, you're probably used to wearing like suits and ties and things. Meanwhile, I'm at home wearing sweatpants most days if I don't <laughs> have to leave my house. So... We are nearing the dress code portion of the year to where uh, jackets will no longer be required and oh, can good. get into summer, summer thought processes. Well, that's good. That's true. We're getting really close to summertime weather. It's been pretty nice this weekend, although I tell you what, Tanner, this is kind of anecdotal, but I was driving home the other day from Des Moines and saw... Some folks out spraying in hydrus really haven't seen a lot of tractors in the field yet getting things planted. So I just posted a picture of it on Twitter and was like, hey, when are people starting? And got a lot of responses that planting is still a week, two weeks, even maybe more out for a lot of farmers, a lot of cool weather, a lot of lack of moisture are some big things that are delaying a lot of farmers right now from getting in the field and getting planted. Um, so it sounds like maybe last week of April is when things are thinking, think people are thinking they're going to get planted. Uh, but it was kind of funny. Some of the responses that I got from some of these farmers on Twitter. Yeah, I would say this is the window of time. If we miss uh, this quick storm, that's going to come through Tuesday into Wednesday uh, for those that still have fertilizer needs whether it's moving manure or commercial fertilizer to get ready to go. But I agree. Most people I've talked to have little to no interest to put a seed in the ground unless it is a small grain mm-hmm. uh, at this time. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, That's been the consensus on Twitter as well. Yes, but let's get into it, Delaney. So we have been talking about the bird flu for two weeks now. And just to let our listeners know that we are not alone here in the state of Iowa and America, um, over 13 million birds have been called in France due to the bird flu. So uh, since that first case was discovered in November, their official agricultural ministry has told uh, news sources that this is now the worst bird flu crisis France has seen. Uh, and they are recording a rare upsurge in outbreaks right now of this highly contagious H5N1 strain. So um, not good, up 10% in the last eight days, but certainly becoming a worldwide problem. Yes, and I also have some updated uh, numbers there as well for U.S. states that have had now new avian influenza outbreaks declared. Both Colorado and Montana have had 
flocks that have been identified to have avian influenza. And so now we've seen it identified in more than 25 states, Tanner, with about 159 sites totaling now about 25 million birds. So we are certainly still on pace there to potentially have a 2015 outbreak. Although if you remember last week, Secretary Vilsack said there's no way we're going to get to that level. So I'll just leave it at that. Yep. Time will tell. Time will be the judge in this case. Uh, unfortunately, staying stateside, Nebraska is struggling to contain a 30,000 acre wildfire. Unfortunately, a volunteer firefighting chief um, has been killed due to actions related to the fire. It was a car accident due to smoke preventing a line of sight issues. Um, some towns have been evacuated and have an evacuation order. Um, there has been over 30,000 acres, multiple houses, and over 200 outbuildings damaged in this wildfire that is continuing to blaze. They were stated here over the noon hour that they're finally starting to get some control of it. But what made me curious, Delaney, is I wanted to go out and look at where wildfire statistics are at in the U.S. right now, because it seems like we're hearing a lot about this in the news. Maybe I'm just looking for it. Um, but currently, according to fireweatheravalanche.org and their wildfire tracking statistics, as of two o'clock on Monday afternoon, there are 16 large fires currently burning. There's over 950 personnel tending to these fires. And those fires are burning an average of five acres a minute. Wow. So uh, very large to the scale of things. Year to date, there's been almost 775,000 acres burned, which would be a little over 1,200 square miles. So um, that's the reason, Delaney, we've been hearing a lot about wildfires because there are a lot of wildfires and they're awfully large. Yes. Five acres per minute. That seems extraordinary. Yes. And they're spread out. When you look at the map, you know, you got a couple there in that Southern region of Nebraska, obviously Kansas, Oklahoma. We've heard in the news about Texas and New Mexico. Can't leave California out. Uh, but it is, it is devastating the number of acres that are being consumed by these wildfires. And obviously not all of it is farmable, but I'm sure a good portion of it is farmland or land that could be used for farm and agricultural purposes. Yes, I was uh, had come across a gentleman on TikTok that was talking about the Texas wildfire, and that's a lot of grazing land. Now, it'll hopefully re rejuvenate those land for later in the season grazing, but right now they're trying to organize feedstuffs, haystocks, mineral tubs uh, for those ranchers in need that now need to take care of their cattle in environments they weren't preparing to have burned. Mm. Interesting. Well, Sandra, before I get to my next piece of news here, I wanted to remind folks that we are sponsored today by Ag Explore. And we all know it's vital to have crop nutrients in the right source at the right rate at the right time and in the right place to improve ROI and yield. The team at Ag Explore also understands it's vital to have the right technology, which they call it the fifth R of nutrient stewardship. AgEx technologies and products are designed to enhance your yields, therefore maximizing your investment. If you want to learn more, reach out by visiting agexplore.com. That's A-G-X-P-L-O-R-E.com. 
Delaney, has anybody reached out yet from their marketing team to criticize us uh, well, on coining the not fact that they are explorers? Not yet, Tanner. <laughs> Hopefully All that right, doesn't enjoy. go the wrong way and rub them the wrong way that we've designed this marketing term for them. We will keep pushing in until they tell us not to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, speaking of pushing until you get told not to, uh, I missed this piece of news late last week, but the EPA has denied an additional 36 biofuel waivers but has given them some sort of relief in compromise there. The EPA has officially denied 36 petitions from oil refiners seeking exemptions to the nation's biofuel blending law for the 2018 compliance year, but said they will provide 31 of those refineries with another avenue to seek relief. What does that relief look like is a great question. And they said so far... Really, they don't have a lot of answers for what that relief looks like. Aside from using an alternative approach, they're saying refiners can resubmit compliance reports for 2018 and report their actual fuel production for that year, among some other data points. And I think maybe that allows them to reevaluate if they should, in fact, get a refiner exemption. Those are our type of news articles to where... Uh, we don't have any information yet, but there's more to come. Yeah. Little and te- it's always, it's always written in such ways. It's like, you think there's going to be an answer when you read the article and then you get partway through and you're like, oh, well, okay, that's great. So really it's news, but not really real news. We are on awesome segues because that's the next article <laughs> that I came across was about Argentine grain truck driver strike. I jumped into this article hoping that there would be great information, but The truckers of Argentina have their open-ended strike that began on Monday last week to demand higher rates for transporting grain and livestock. But it's open-ended and there are no signs of any discussions being made between the Argentinian government and uh, the leader of this group. The ports are saying that they strategically plan ahead to where they have enough storage at port and enough grain delivered commodities delivered for the export needs. So exports will still, for the time being, go on as planned. However, with no sign of a conversation being in sight, how long can the ports still manage to meet shipment needs before they're actually going to have to rely on these truckers? Because more than 85% of Argentina's grain volume is transported by truck to the country's ports. And we talked about this a little bit last week, because as you look at their ability to compete on the world marketplace, that has major impacts if this strike does not get resolved in a quick and efficient manner as they're harvesting right now, Tanner. That's correct. And, um, you know, I wanted to explore even deeper as to what on-farm storage or local storage is available, because I know, as you mentioned, a lot of this goes straight from the field to the port. Did you find anything anything else exciting in your research, Tanner? No, it was just like you had kind of said. Uh, there was no definitive announcement being made or analysis being done. So it's not not worth reporting on until I find a better source. Okay, that's fair. I, I do often find it is hard to find a lot of good information about South America. I've found like very few publications and things that will do that. 
just all up to our wonder. I guess so. But uh, this is an interesting piece of news I saw today. And it's coming out of Ukraine. But their deputy agricultural minister said that they anticipate no less than 70% of the country's farmland will be planted this year, which seems aggressive, Tanner, that he does not think that anything less than 70% will get planted. Up to 80%, he said, if landmines can be removed. He also stated that roughly half of the land would be required to produce for domestic consumption, while the other half would produce for exports. So it sounds like they are still very optimistic that they will get planted this year. I think this is the first time that I've come across a statistic that states how much they need for their own consumption. Mm -hmm. So it's it's good to know that that 50% roughly is a marker to watch as to how exports will be affected. But um, I agree that seems optimistic. Um, It may get planted, but at what quality? I know we're running out of time and planting conditions are extremely important as we look to maximize yield. So we may get the acres planted according to their, uh, their spokesperson, but I wonder what type of quality of crop. Or even if, yeah, even if they do get planted, well, they get harvested. That's the other piece of the puzzle that they haven't really acknowledged yet. Yes, absolutely. Well, my last article for the day is in the technology sector and related to technology. Do you know what makes Ag Explorer different? Well, they are innovators bringing together the talent and global resources and experience to face the critical farming needs head on. Your farming needs, AgX is an industry leader developing field proven cutting-edge technologies that have revolutionized farming. They learn continuously because they know current knowledge is never good enough, forging ahead always with technology-driven products to enhance yields and maximize investments. Ag Explorers is the farmer's champion, and if you want to know more, reach out by visiting agexplorer.com. That is A-G-X-P-L-O-R-E dot com. So news hit the newswire this morning. Coming out of Toronto, that Star Royalties LTD, the company Star Royalties, has a through their green subsidy, green entity subsidiary. That's a mouthful, Blake. <laughs> green Star Royalties is pleased to announce a fourfold expansion of its agreement with Blue Source LLC. So, what does this all mean? They are creating a premium verified carbon offset credit that will reward the adoption of regenerative agriculture practices to all North American farmers. So they're expanding the Carbon Now trademark, and that carbon farming program will enable Blue Source customers and Locust Agricultural Solutions, the Locust Ag Group, to receive incentives for regenerative ag practices on over 1.3 million acres of farmland and growing. So continuing Delaney to see funds put into the carbon credit platform. The uh, CEO or executive vice president of Blue Source says the early success of this program is due in large part to well-designed incentives for growers that provide them the maximum value for their carbon retained by the grower, meaning it will attract more farmers to their program and more acres to this project. 
Tanner, I've got to admit, I have never heard of either of these two companies until just now when you read through that. But it's, um, I think that's interesting to see all of these new companies, maybe new in the sense that they're new in business, but also new in the space that are just now coming to the surface that are wanting to get into this carbon market game. Yeah, the Blue Source put $20.6 million in cash into this program, wow. into their Carbon Now program. So there is a significant amount of financial firepower behind it to push it forward. Do we have any indication from them about how growers will actually get paid? Uh, so you can sign up, they say, in uh, through the end of 2022. And it will payments will begin to take effect in 2023. And it is an investment based upon the future financial benefits derived from the fire farmers soil program. So it is not outlining a dollar per acre, just tying it specifically to each individual farmer. Okay. Well, I think that's always the question mark is just how farmers get paid. So I always want to make sure we include that. But speaking of getting paid, Tanner, mm, farmers didn't get paid too well in the commodity markets today. What do you say we take a look at that before we chat with Arlen Suderman here in just a moment? Yeah, let's take a look. Soybeans had an ugly day today, sold off pretty hard. Wheat, however, led the way higher for prices today as we're continuing to trade on not only what's going on in Ukraine, Russia, but also the weekly crop progress report, which we will get later this afternoon. We're recording just ahead of that today, so we'll be sure to chat about that tomorrow as well as the planting progress report. But in the meantime, today, May corn down four and a quarter cent to close at 764 and a half. Dece new crop corn up two pennies to close at 718. Soybeans, as I mentioned there, had an ugly sell-off with the May contract shedding 33 and three quarters cents, closing at 1655. The November down nine and three quarters cents, settling the day at 1485 and three quarters. Wheat led higher today by news of continued Bad winter wheat condition ratings as the May contract added 29 and three quarters cents to close at 1081 and a quarter. July up 30 and three quarters cents, settling the day out at 1089 even. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we had some mixed trade in the cattle complex as June live cattle higher 97 and a half cents at 134.80. The August added 77 and a half cents to close at 136.62. May feeders today up 52 and a half cents, closing at a buck 59.90. August shed a quarter to close at 173.30. And in lean hogs today, the May contract in the green 57 and a half cents to close at 109 on the nose. The June up 45 cents to close at 115.02 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures made today added a nickel to close at 24.90. June up 18 to close at 24.82. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Arlen Suderman. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting with Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX Group, Arlen Suderman today. Arlen, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Delaney. Good to be back with you. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to have you on today because last week as the WASD report was coming out, uh, most of the time I just go look at your tweet threads or tweet streams to see what's going on because I feel like you do a great job of breaking down those reports and putting them in little bite-sized chunks that allows people to take in that information really quickly. So as you look at last week's WASD report, what were the highlights? What are the things that you think the market will be monitoring moving forward here? 
Well, I, I think the highlight, if you will, is that there were no major surprises. We saw USDA continue to shrink the size of the South American crops, uh, with the exception of uh, Brazil corn, which bumped up. But I think that's the highest estimate we're going to see of the year. I think it probably pulls back a little bit from that if the weather forecasts continue as they are now. Um, and, and it shows that exports of U.S. soybeans are continuing to rise, but no big surprises. Um, most of the adjustments, I think, were largely expected. Uh, Argentine production is kind of holding right now. I think we're going to end up, based on the crop ratings we're seeing from Argentina, we're going to see those numbers erode down a little bit lower. But the bottom line is supplies of commodities are tight in the world. Ukraine added to that problem. They were tight before the war started in Ukraine. That made it worse. And really, we're in a position right now of trying to make sure we have enough supply going through the next year and a half. And that remains at risk. There's lots of risks yet ahead for these markets. And Arlen, I wanted to follow up on one quick thing that you mentioned there, and that was the USDA's Brazilian soybean crop came in at 125 million metric tons, but that's still above StoneX's estimate as well as some other private analysts as well. Do you think that they'll acknowledge that at any point here in the near future? I do, and it's still above uh, CONAB, which is uh, Brazil's version of USDA, uh, which is just just above our estimate. I think they're at 122.4, just above our 122.1. So I do expect USDA to come down a little bit more yet in their estimate. And then they have to account for those lost bushels. If we look at South American production overall, we've lost close to 35 million metric tons of production, 1.3 billion bushels worth of production lost from South America due to this drought that they've had. You can't just account for that by cutting Chinese demand. And so to a great extent, that's partially what USDA has done to this point. Chinese demand has softened, yes, because of the COVID lockdowns, because of the poor feeding margins on hogs, etc. But not to the extent that I see that what USDA has cut Chinese demand. So I think we're going to see demand exceed what USDA currently has for Chinese consumption, and that's going to end up forcing more business to the United States. In fact, if you look at what it takes in weekly shipments to hit USDA's target for the current year, it takes about 20 million bushels per week through the end of August, which is the end of the marketing year. I'm 110 million bushel higher uh, estimate for exports this year. I'm uh, and that pulls my ending stocks estimate down to a relatively tight 196 million bushels versus USDA at 280. To get my target, we need to export 26 million bushels per week. Last week, we we exported, we shipped out 28 million bushels. And I think we're going to hold that through the summer when you look at the price relationships between U.S. and Brazilian supplies and look at the current demand in China. In fact, China's releasing soybeans from the reserves just to try to supply the need that they have right now. So that was going to be kind of a lead into my next question is, what should our listeners be looking for news-wise, information-wise, to offset the amount of criticism that we give the USDA's reporting ability to kind of make sure that we understand the driving market players or the driving players in our market? 
Yeah, excellent question. And, and what I'm watching is those weekly export shipment numbers uh, overall. How are we doing? And not just China, but as if we start worrying about supplies, we'll see non-China customers stepping up as well. Now, the other part of the equation is Ukraine and the Black Sea supplies with exports basically shut down out of Ukraine and slowed out of Russia. And that's going to be a real challenge for USD. I think they've handled it really well to this point, but they've got some real challenges come the May report when they have to put in their 22-23 marketing year. How much is Ukraine going to be able to produce this year? We tend to be more pessimistic um, than what the Ukraine government is talking to our customers in Ukraine, that I think USDA is probably going to go along with the Ukraine government line with a little bit more optimistic outlook for production and exports. And I don't blame them for that. I think there's some rationale to do that from a USDA standpoint, but from a private sector standpoint, we're going to be looking at more conservative numbers coming out of Ukraine. And then that has big implications for what demand is going to be for U.S. exports. And that's primarily looking at corn, looking at wheat. Let's talk wheat here, Arlen, because that certainly led the way today in grains. Was it largely just trading off poor conditions or is there other things at play today? I think the primary thing at play is the anticipation of the afternoon crop progress and condition report. So you recall a week ago when we got the crop ratings, which were the first national ratings of the spring, the first week of April when USDA starts releasing those, they were the second lowest condition scores of on history. And that's a 35-year history. USDA has been posting those condition ratings, second lowest for the first week of April, uh, second only to um, 1996, we had a condition index score of 279 last week that compared to 277 in um, 1996. A perfect crop would be a 500, so you can see how much below perfect it is with the problems that we see in the Plains hard red winter wheat crop. And so the market was anticipating confirmation of that, that the rating is going to stay low. And in fact, I said 279 index. Never have we seen a trend yield when the index was below 320 to start out the month of April. So history would suggest we're looking at a short, hard red winter wheat crop. The only question is now, how short will it be and weather conditions over really the next six weeks or so are going to determine that? So it looked like today in the soybean side of this was almost the opposite effect of wheat was the same driving factors playing there in the opposite direction, or is it a different story? Yeah, and there's some intermarket spreading there. They say, you know, they're nervous about taking an outright position because of the volatility market. So then they start looking at, well, if I spread, which one has the stronger story versus the weaker story? And from that standpoint, you can make an argument that Soybeans will probably be the first crop where we have an opportunity to start building supplies here over the coming year versus wheat, which we anticipate is probably going to stay tight, and corn, which we anticipate staying tight. So there was some spreading against soybeans. But also when you look at soybeans, even as bullish as I was on my export comments earlier about how I think USDA is going to have to raise their export target, if we get a good trend yield on the acreage that USDA reported on March 31. And if South America is able to expand its acreage this coming growing season, like they did this last growing season, we will start building world su- uh, supplies once again. There's some question whether we'll be able to do that. 
On Friday, the trade was worried about what if we can't. Today it was, well, we probably have better odds of that than increasing wheat and corn supplies. So let's spread wheat and corn against soybeans. And so today was a down day. But all it was was basically an inside day down. Um, we didn't really do much damage to the charts per se. Arlen, my final uh, grain question here for you was just what's going on in corn today because we put in a fresh contract high in new crop corn. That was positive on the day, but then old crop corn traded lower today. Corn is still worried about uh, the acreage equation and trying to push that soybean corn price ratio closer to the two level, try to buy more acres away from soybeans. On the old crop side, even though I expect exports to go a little bit higher than where USDA currently is, we're not going to run out of corn before this year's harvest. The question is about next year. Without Ukraine on um, being a significant exporter in the year ahead and with down acreage, reduced acreage here in the United States, will we have enough corn in the world to meet global demand? And so that's why the focus is on the new crop balance sheet more than the old crop right now and why we had that intermarket spreading there. So last question I have is around paying attention to the planting progress reports. How far down the road do you feel we need to get before that's a major indicator as to market movements coming next? Well, the trade has traditionally wanted to see about 60% of the crop planted by the 10th of May. Um, We saw back in 2019 how we could plant later than that and still come up with a good crop. But I would warn that we had almost perfect growing conditions for the crop once we did get it into the ground, even though it was one of the worst spring planting seasons on record. I, I doubt that we'd get lucky enough to get such perfect growing conditions after that this year. But overall, the, it, we want to see a lot of progress, at least half the crop by May 10th. Right now, that's looking questionable. If you look at the next excuse me, the next 15 days, we're going to see a lot of heavy rain over the Midwest, and we're going to see a lot of heavy snow up in the northern plains and the northwestern uh, Corn Belt. So there's starting to be some concern now, but if we get to May 1st and we haven't seen things improve, I think that becomes a bigger factor that the market starts paying more attention to. And maybe even by April 20th, as they look forward at the forecasts into the month of May, if they still see that wet pattern, we become a little bit more concerned as well. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty anecdotal, but I just asked for some grower feedback today or yesterday on Twitter about when they're going to get started planting. And it sounds like a lot of folks are maybe end of April, but that's a big question mark there because of that weather you're mentioning. So certainly going to be important to pay attention as we get into the heart of growing season. But Arlen, we certainly appreciate you coming on today and sharing your insight with us. And before we let you go, if folks want to follow along with you, ask questions or read some of what you're sharing, how can they find you? I think find me at stonex.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Fantastic. Well, Arlen, certainly appreciate you coming on again today to Chat and Markets. Thank you, Delaney and Tanner. Well, again, a big thank you there to Arlen for coming on and chatting markets with us today, Tanner. Yes, that uh, I am already learning and it's fun to be able to ask the curious questions. So I hope our listeners are curious right alongside. And I just pulled up on uh, agriculture.com 
what the planting progress looked like for a map. And uh, southern states are behind, Midwest and northern states are on pace for average. But like you said, this Midwest region could potentially be put behind. So it'll be interesting to pay attention to some of the comments he made and see how they unfold. Absolutely. We'll be following along closely this growing season. And good news, you can listen to us as you're getting the planters rolling so you can stay on top of all the latest agricultural news that is coming to you. Because I know during planting time, it's kind of like all heads down. So we'll try to be your source of entertainment and news this planting season, Tanner. But with that being said, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.